0: What a beautiful song service. That was beautiful. Well, good morning to you again. And it's uh, a blessing to be in God's house this morning. And I want to remind you about the Wednesday evening prayer service. We, uh, we've we had that the last couple of, of Wednesday evenings. We'll start at 6 o'clock. And so uh, if you can make it, that would be great. We're, we're going to pray for the church, pray for the pastor search committee. We're going to pray for... Uh, Pray for the city of Davis. Uh, it's just a prayer service, so uh, if, you, uh, if you could be here on Wednesday, that would be wonderful. Uh, we're going to continue our study of the God-breathed letter that uh, we have come to call Philippians. and This week is week five of our study. That's hard to believe that we've been in it for uh, that long, but we have. We've covered some good ground. Covered up through chapter 2. Now, the last two weeks we've talked about the mind of Christ. And this morning we're going to continue with that theme uh, to have a better understanding of the mindset of Christ. And so I've entitled this, uh, this message, The Mind of Christ, Part 3. The Mind of Christ, part three. So if you have your Bibles open to Philippians, uh, if you'll open to Philippians chapter three, we'll begin there in verse one. Let's stand together in honor of God's great truth. I'm so thankful that he has given us his word. And uh, I really appreciate these men reading, uh, reading from the scripture this morning already here in the service. It says in verse one, Finally, my brethren... Now, he's not at the end of the book, but he uses the word finally, and that that doesn't mean that it's it's a conclusion. He is uh, changing directions here. He's calling our attention to something. He says, finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you, to me, is not grievous. To me, indeed, is not grievous. But for you, it is safe. Verse 2, he says, beware of dogs. Beware of evil workers. Beware of the concision. Verse 3, for we are the circumcision which worship God in the spirit and rejoice in Jesus Christ and have no confidence in the flesh. Let's pray. Our most gracious Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for each person that's here today, each person that's, that's listening by way of live streaming. Lord, we thank you for this church. Thank you that this church is a lighthouse in this community. And, oh, God, we pray that this morning, as we study the book of Philippians, we study this, this third chapter, that, that you would have your way, and through it all, that you would be glorified, and honored. We pray that things this morning would be done exactly like you want them done. Thank you, Heavenly Father, and would you bless our time here in Jesus' sweet name. Amen. Now, let me give you the three points for this morning. Once again, I've entitled the message, The Mind of Christ, Part 3. So the three points from this morning's text uh, that we just read, you can see there are three directions for the Christian mindset and basically you can see those in verse 3 and so first Christians should worship God in the spirit that's the first thing this morning we're going to talk about Christians should worship God in the spirit the second Christians should rejoice in Christ Jesus. We're going to see what that means. Christians should rejoice in Christ Jesus. And third, you can see it there in verse 3, and third, Christians should have no confidence in the flesh. They should have no confidence in the flesh. We're going to see what that means as well. Now let's unpack these directions because they're directions for you and I. And I love it when God reveals His will to us. This is a part of God's revealed will for you and I and for the people of this church. Let's look at the first one Christians should worship God in the Spirit. And uh, let's, before we jump into that one, let's review just a, uh, a little bit here. We do this every time just to make sure we're. Uh, we, we know the context. We know the background. Context is everything now. People all around the, uh, the, the the nation, all around the world, take the Bible out of context. And we must not do that. We have to hold to what the Bible says, what the Word of God is is teaching. Uh, this was probably written in the, the early 60s. That's what... Uh, I kind of feel like it is, maybe 61, 62. Now, that is the A.D. 60s. This is the first century of the church. And so this is one of four prison epistles. Paul is under house arrest. You could read about that in Acts 28. You'll read a little bit about that in Acts 28, down about verse 30. Uh, Paul founded this church on his second missionary journey, about uh, 10 20. 10 years prior to this letter, maybe 11, 10, we'll say 10 to 12 years prior to this letter. And, uh, and it's important to note, it's important to remember, we talked a little bit about this last week, this is a very giving church. And some have called this, the Church of Philippi, they've called it the, a model church. And I would say it is a model church. But uh, apparently, and we'll talk about this this morning, apparently, False teaching was just itching to get in, and I would tell you that false teaching is itching to get in every church. It wants in, and we looked at a little bit of that this morning in uh, in the book of Revelation uh, with regard to the church at Thyatira. And so uh, let's let's review a little bit about last Sunday because last Sunday we talked about. Uh, some major characteristics of the mind of Christ. And two of those characteristics are a humbleness. You see this up in uh, verse, uh, verses 6 through 8 of chapter 2. The mind of Christ, humbleness. And then you can see that he was obedient. You see both of those mentioned in verse 8 of chapter 2. And uh, we're told to let this mind be in us. And then a very important comfort regarding the mind of Christ is found in verse 13 of chapter 2, that it is God which works in us, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. That's the Holy Spirit of God. He is working in us, if you're a believer He is working in you. He's doing his part. He's the one that breathed the Word of God. It's Spirit-breathed. And uh, he is doing his part to help you, to help me, to do God's will. And God has revealed a portion of his will through his Word. And so we looked at a couple of examples Of men who had the mind of Christ. And those are found in the latter portion, beginning in verse 19 of chapter 2. And one of those is Timothy. You can see uh, it says that Timothy, uh, it says in verse 21 For all seek their own, but not this guy. He is concerned about others, he's concerned about others with regard to the gospel. And that is we see that mindset in Jesus Christ. And uh, then you can see Epaphroditus as well. The thing that really jumps out about Epaphroditus is down in verse 30. With regard to the gospel, he didn't even uh, regard his own life. He, He was willing to give his own life for the gospel. Now look, if you don't have a humbleness, if you've not humbled yourself, and you're not obedient to the word of God. You're not obedient to God's direction. Then you don't have the mind of Christ. That's the implication from verse two, or excuse me, from chapter two. Now let's look at chapter three, verse one. It says, "Finally." Now that means moreover, moreover. It doesn't mean that we're at the end of the book. You can see he's going to use this uh, this word finally again down in uh, chapter four, verse eight. But here he says, finally, this is a transition. Paul is going to direct our attention to something, and it is very, very important. We're going to talk about some important things this morning. He says, finally, my brethren, now that's fellow believers. He's talking to Christians. He says, rejoice. And the idea there behind that word rejoice is to rejoice exceedingly. Rejoice big time. Rejoice. Rejoice, he says. Rejoice in the Lord. And that word Lord, it's important to know what these words mean. The word Lord means master. It's kurios in the the Greek. It It means master. He's the one to whom, if you're a believer, he's the one to whom you belong. That's what the word Lord means right here. Uh, He is the one that created the world, and then he came to the world as a little baby, lived a sinless life, died on a rugged cross. As a matter of fact, that's what chapter 8, excuse me, chapter 2, verse 8 is talking about. He was obedient to death. He humbled himself and became obedient to death, even the death of the cross. It It was a horrendous death, he purchased you he he is uh, he has ownership of you he's the one to whom you belong and uh and that's why it says in uh verse 11 look over at, at uh chapter 2 verse 10 look at that look at verse 10 it says that at the name of jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in in earth and things under the earth there's going to come a day when every knee is going to bow And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. He is Lord. He's the one to whom we belong. Sometimes we Christians live like he's not the one to whom we belong. But he's the one. He is the Lord. He is the master. He is the master. Now look at at verse 1 of chapter 3. It says, uh, "To, to write these to write the same things to you, to me indeed, is not grievous. And that word grievous means, uh, it means this. To write these things to you is not irksome to me. I'm not reluctant to write these things to you is what Paul is saying. He, he's saying, I want to help you. And that's the idea, he says there, but for, your, for you it is safe. <coughs> Excuse me. Is for your safety. It's for our safety this direction is given. So look what he says in verse 2, beware of dogs. Beware of, he uses beware three times there. Beware of dogs. Beware of evil workers. Beware of the concision. Now, that's uh, uh, That's all three of those are referencing the same group. And these are legalists. Have you ever heard that term? Legalist Now look, if you hear that term legalist, you got to be sure you know what 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 is being talked about. When you hear the word legalism, oftentimes you'll hear people say, well that guy he's trying to get me to do this or that is uh, you know he's, he's legalistic and so look the word legalism refers to somebody that is a, a direction they're, they're given that uh, as far as, Working our way to heaven. Uh, there, there's something else we have to do. It's not Jesus only. But you need to do this. They're legalistic as far as works. We've got to keep, uh, keep the law. And that's what they were saying to these, these people. It's not a reference to this. Look, God wants us to be holy. So when you, when you hear someone saying, uh, look, I, I, I'm, I'm, trying to, I'm trying to follow God. I'm trying to do this. I'm trying to remain pure. That's not legalism. And so you've got to be sure that you see that difference. God wants us to be pure. God wants us to have those standards in our lives. He wants us to be cautious. Matter of fact, we, as we went through 1 Peter, remember, God said, Be holy, for I am holy. He, wants, he has standards. And oftentimes you'll see people that, uh, uh, that get after other people. Just because those people have a standard in their life, they set standards because they're trying to please God. It has nothing to do with salvation. Legalism, on the other hand, is where somebody uh, uh, determines that, well, you, you need to keep uh, this rule or you need to do this in order to get to heaven. It's not Christ alone. And I, I, I'm here to tell you that it is Christ alone. Only Jesus Christ. So Paul... He calls these, and these were legalist, legalistic people. They were Jews, as a matter of fact, for the most part. And uh, uh, now it's interesting because, uh, see, these, the church of uh, Philippi, many of these were Gentiles. These were Gentile Christians. This was in, uh, in, in the province of Asia. Oh, excuse me, not the province of Asia. This was in uh, uh, Macedonia. Uh, that's where Alexander the Great came from. That's up above Greece. And so uh, the Jews had a name for the Gentiles. And You probably heard that name before, dogs. They called them dogs. And so here, see, Paul Paul used that term. He didn't just use that term accidentally. He calls those guys dogs. He says, you beware of the dogs. He's referring to those those. Those Jews, that Jewish legalism, where they were saying, they were emphasizing that uh, uh, you, in order to be right with God, you had to keep the law of Moses. In order to be right with God, you had to be circumcised. Now I don't need to describe to you what that means. You had to be cut. That's what they were saying. In order to be right with God. And so Paul says you beware of those. As a matter of fact that word concision now as your translation say concision? That's what it means when it says beware of the dogs, beware of the evil workers beware of the concision. That's a reference to circumcision. You see they were teaching that you uh, in order to be right with God it was about these works that you had to do. And so Paul says beware of these dogs. Now um, you know, when I was a young boy, I lived in Clinton at this time, and, and uh, uh, we, we have a young lady here from Weatherford, which is near Clinton. And when I lived in Clinton, I'd go into Washington School, Washington, Ele- Washington Elementary School, and I'd walk home from school, and lo and behold, there was this dog every, every day. If I walked, I could, there were two ways I could walk. I could walk one way that went by my friend's house, and there was this little white dog. It was a little bitty thing, and it had a smile on it. You know, you ever see a dog with a smile and I'd get right up there, and that thing would chase me invariably. I had a foot race with him every time. And so if I wanted to go that way, I had to pay the price and let that dog chase me. He never caught me, but, uh, but he would chase me. And uh, he, he looked like he was friendly, or she looked like she was friendly. But, you know, there was another dog in my life. You know, my friend called me, and I may have told some of you this. My friend called me and said, hey, she, he knew I liked or she knew I liked uh, Labrador retrievers. And this was a Labrador, a big Labrador. And uh, and she said there was one that this pharmacist had uh, that wanted to bone this pharmacist's house. And it had a fish hook in its mouth. So it was treble hooks, and the fish hook just had it all like this, and the dog couldn't get his mouth open. So the pharmacist knew exactly what to give it, what kind of medication or what kind of uh, you know, painkiller or whatever that is, and took the hook out. And so when I got down to the friend's house in Meeker, Oklahoma, got down to the friend's house, that dog was just laying up there like one of those hee-haw dogs. You ever see one of those dogs on hee-haw just kind of laying there like that? And uh, I, just, I said, man, I want that dog. I, I need that dog because I like the dogs just kind of lay around. And so uh, I took his dog home, put him out in the backyard, just the nicest dog, and, and uh, came home from work about three days later. And there were craters all over my backyard. I couldn't believe it. And uh, this dog had come alive. The medication had worn off. And, and uh, I could not believe it. I mean, these craters were, were deep. We lived in kind of a sandy area. And so I had a friend tell me that, look, if you'll get some cayenne pepper and just kind of rub it on, You know the dog's nose or something; it'll quit. So I did that a time or two, and then it didn't work. And so I ended up buying a whole case of cayenne pepper, and I put it on my backyard, put it on uh, you know where he'd been digging and all that. It didn't faze him. So I had this idea. Uh, I said, you know, I'm going to watch for that dog to dig, and I'm going to take some of his cayenne pepper out there, and I'm going to shove it in his mouth when he digs. And so I did that. I caught him digging. I'd sit by the back door. And uh, there he was. He would dig, and I put—I emptied some of that cayenne pepper in my mouth. I ran out there, opened his dog's mouth up, put the pepper in there, and held his mouth shut, and he liked it. I couldn't believe it. It was the craziest thing. He liked the cayenne pepper. And so uh, that dog had to go. It had to go. So Paul says, beware. See, there was deception involved here with these dogs, with what he's talking about here. There was deception to them, and they were trying to convince these Christians that it wasn't just Jesus Christ. That was salvation. That, that, that Salvation was through. So that brings us to verse 3, and that's why Paul says in verse 3, for we are the circumcision. That's a crucial a crucial statement. We are, the meaning there, the true circumcision. We're the true circumcision. He's not just saying, look, I'm the true circumcision. He's saying we, as in we Christians are the true circumcision. We're the true Christians. And uh, he's saying that Uh, if you have asked Jesus to be your Savior, you're the true circumcision. You're the true one. As a matter of fact, write this verse down. It's Colossians 2, verse 11. He's talking about a circumcision of the heart. Colossians 2, verse 11 talks about it like this. A circumcision made without hands. That's what it says, Colossians 2.11. It's a circumcision of the heart. That's what Jesus does when he becomes your your Savior. He circumcises your heart. Now, sometimes we want to put on that old man. uh, that's That's what Colossians refers to, the old man of sin. We want to put that old man off. Colossians says, Paul, same writer here, same penman used by God. He says, take off the old man, put on the new it's a circumcision made without hands. And look what he says. We are the true circumcision. And here's the direction, which worship God in the Spirit. Which worship, that is God's direction. The true see what he's saying? We're the true circumcision, and here's what we do. We worship God in the Spirit. The word worship here means to serve God and it means to minister to. And the idea here is, under this worship God in the Spirit, it is complete submission to the Word of God. I think it's already been talked about this morning. I think Brother John mentioned that. Complete submission to the Word of God. See, the Holy Spirit, the Bible says that the Word of God is inspired it is it is God breathed. That's what the word means. It is God breathed to these men, some forty men over a period of about fifteen hundred years. God breathed the words. He didn't inspire the men. He didn't. Wouldn't it? Wouldn't uh, like we use the term inspire these days? Oh, he inspires me. No, it means he breathed the word. The Holy Spirit. Breathe those words. He breathed these words just like he wanted them. And so uh, when he says, which worship God in the Spirit, it is a complete submission to the Word of God, prompted by and filled with the Spirit of God. Our flesh being suppressed, that's important. Sometimes my flesh wants to rear up, and I have to push it down. Yours ever do that? We'll face that till the day we die. See, God, the Holy Spirit, according to verse 13 of chapter 2, he is working in us. We're talking about a submission to to the direction of the Holy Spirit, and here it is. It's the Word of God. That's his direction. And so it, maybe you'll be out somewhere, and uh, you'll be doing something, and maybe a verse will come to your mind. See, that's the Holy Spirit. He's knocking on your heart. See, when you hide God's Word in your heart, that makes it, that makes His job easier. He can just recall that verse to you. See, He's working. It says in verse 13 of chapter 2, It is Him that works both to will and to do of His good pleasure in you. So we're talking about obedience to the Word of God. That's what it means when it says we worship, the, we worship God in the spirit, the idea there is, is to serve and to minister, to be obedient to God in his word. Obedience to the word of God. And we talked about this earlier. And we're in a spiritual battle. Uh, we are right now. They were back at the time of Thyatira that we talked about this morning. The, uh, Sardis is a spiritual battle. And what Satan wants to do is get control of your mind. Get control of my mind. The battle between uh, good and evil, it's ultimately a battle between God and Satan. And Satan wants to to get a stronghold, a fortress in your mind to where he can operate from that. That's what he wants to do. Maybe he'll use one of his little demons to do that. He's not... He's not omnipresent, so he can't be in every place at one time. He's not like God. But his, his modus operandi is to, to get a stronghold. That's what the Word of God tells us. A stronghold in your mind from which he can operate. And so you have these roaming thoughts. You know, I have thoughts that shouldn't be there every day. You ever, you ever have those? Now you're not responsible for those. You do know, have that thought go through there? But you are, you and I are responsible for what we do with those thoughts. We dwell on those thoughts, we think of them. Uh, no. We got to give those thoughts. We got to take those thoughts captive to the obedience of Christ. Take those thoughts. Take every thought. That's what uh, 2 Corinthians 10:5 says. Let me read it to you. Bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. And see, it even says in there, pulling down strongholds. See, God doesn't want us to play around with those strongholds. He doesn't want us to rename them. He doesn't want us to uh, put another name on them and use those strongholds for him. He says, I want you to pull them down. And the way we pull them down, the weapons of our warfare are, are not carnal, but mighty through God. You know that verse, to the pulling down of strongholds. That's a reference to the mind. That's a reference to the mind. See, what our mind needs to be is focused on the Word of God. We got to clear our mind from all this junk and get our minds focused on the Word of God so that we can worship God in the Spirit. Worship God in the spirit. Our minds need to be clean. And I will say to you that we will have to fight that battle all the way to the end, every day. As some of you sitting in here, I'm sure you have, uh, if you're like me, it's, it's poof, one thought after another. It shouldn't be there. Lord, that thought does not line up with your character. That thought does not line up with what I know you want. Would you take that thought? I give it to you, Lord. I dismiss that thought. See you do that every day, be faithful to do that. Every day. That's God's way. That's what He wants. We have to get our minds clean. Now, we're in a battle. You're a warrior. Did you know that? You are a warrior. Now, you gotta, you're in the battle. You're born? You were born into this battle. and a battle is for your mind. So uh, God says the direction through Paul here is we're the, we are the true circumcision those of us who have received Jesus as our Savior, which worship God in the Spirit. We follow the Spirit of God. The implication there is that we're worshiping God in the Spirit, and it is continual. That's the implication. That's what it implies. It is a continual worshiping the God, worshiping God in, in the Spirit, continually following Him. So the first direction for the Christian mindset is to worship God in the Spirit. Uh, we gotta, we got to have the, the mind of Christ to be able to do that. And let's look at the second one. Christians should rejoice in Christ Jesus. Now look at that term rejoice in verse 3. It says, and rejoice in Christ Jesus. Now that's not the same word But you see up there in verse 1, you see there's two rejoices in there. In verse 1, which means moreover, it means uh, 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 I'm I'm changing directions here. Now, this one here in verse 3 where it says, and rejoice, that's what we do, the true circumcision, the true Christians rejoice in Christ Jesus. Here it means we glory in Christ Jesus we glory in him glory in the knowledge of him glory in what he has disclosed to us glory in the fact that he's let us see his revealed will to us what he wants from us glory in the intimacy you know Philippians is all about one of the major themes of Philippians is the fellowship of the gospel I glory that Christ Jesus wants an intimate relationship with us when we call him Lord it means master it's not this this grievous thing oh he's my master no it is I'm so thankful he is my master he's the one that owns me he's the one that uh that has me glory in what he's done glory in the fact that he's in control And we look in the world today and we think, man, this is out of control. Jesus Christ is in control. As a matter of fact, Colossians chapter 1, verse 17, he holds all things together. You know, verse 16 says he created everything. Verse 17, he holds it all together. He's got it. So we don't go off of what things look like. We go off of what we know. Now, listen. If you and I haven't humbled ourselves, and if we're not obedient to the Word of God, then we don't have the mind of Christ. I'm not saying we're not saved. You see, I know a, a I know a lot of saved people that are proud and they're haughty. I'm not questioning their salvation but I can see right right clear that that, uh, I don't think they have the mind of Christ because the mind of Christ is humbleness that's characteristic the mind of Christ is obedience to the word of God and so if you and I don't have a humbleness of mind if we've not humbled ourselves as we're commanded to do in scripture it says in verse 8 that he humbled himself in chapter 2 And you and I don't have, if if we don't have obedience, if we're not obedient to God's word, then uh, we don't have the mind of Christ. And to, to properly glorify, to properly glory in the Lord Jesus Christ is the direction we're given this morning. We need the mind of Christ. Here's the reason our propensity, Craig's propensity, is to glory in himself. Shame on me. You know, I I used to know this guy. Matter of fact, I I played uh, church softball back up in Shawnee years ago. Uh, Matter of fact, we took state. It was unbelievable. We took state in Class B up in Bartlesville or something like that. Uh, We had a good team. I was the worst one on the team, but I was glad to be on that team. But we had as our coach a guy that, you know how it is in softball, Uh, You really don't need the coach, but uh, we had to to have a coach. And this guy, he was this kind of guy. You couldn't one-up him. In other words, if you said, hey, I I caught a five-pound bass, he'd say, yeah, I caught a 10-pound bass. You know, I mean, no matter what you said, he's going to outdo you. You know somebody like that? I mean, he will not just say, oh, yeah, good for you. He wouldn't do that. He's going to one-up you. Second, Quran, Second Corinthians, I'm telling you, Second, if you haven't read Second Corinthians in a while, boy, you ought to read that. Second Corinthians, chapter 10, verse 17, says it all. Here's what it says. Second Corinthians, chapter 10, the same chapter where it says take every thought captive. The same chapter. Here's what it says. But he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. Period but he that glorieth let him glory in the lord not glory in my own righteousness in my own works and what i've done and in my own abilities but glory in christ and christ alone that's what god wants for you that's what he wants for me see paul says we are the circumcision or oh, excuse me we are the circumcision we're the that meaning there we're the true circumcision us that have received Jesus as our Savior. Now I feel like I'm talking to the choir this morning. Have you received Jesus as your personal Savior? If you have, you're the true circumcision. And here's what he says we do we worship God in the Spirit and we rejoice or we glory in Christ Jesus. I want to glory in Him. I want to glory in Him right now what he's done in my life. I thank him so much for salvation. I want to glory in that. What he's done in uh, you think about your life. He's changed everything. With Jesus things change. He changes everything. There is direction with Jesus Christ. So whether you work in a uh, whatever you, wherever you work, whether you're working in the church, as we talked about in Sunday school, whether you work in a secular place, like me, I work in a secular place, and many people do. The direction is to glory or rejoice in Christ Jesus. That's the direction. No matter where you work, no matter what's going on, Glory in Christ Jesus. Let's review the direction for the true worshipers of God is to worship God in the Spirit. That means obedience to the Word of God all the way, no matter what. All the time, obedience to the Word of God, suppressing our flesh, and then glorying in Christ Jesus. That's who we're going to brag on. You're going to run up against some people tomorrow, wherever you are. You're going to run up against some people. They're bragging on different things. Won't you interject something? Thank God for what Jesus has done in my life. Just something simple. I thank God for for Jesus's direction. See, you can do it humbly. You can do it humbly. You don't have to do it proudly. Just do it humbly. I thank God for for Jesus Christ in my life I'm telling you to change things but first you have to have the the mind of Christ humbleness and obedience we know those are two big characteristics of the mind of Christ we can see the mind of Christ in verse 6 through 8 of chapter 2 you can see that he humbled himself and became obedient to death even death of the cross let's look at the third one Christians should have no confidence in the flesh. You can see that there. Paul says, for we are the circumcision. We're the true circumcision, which worship God in the Spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus. And here it is, and have no confidence in the flesh. That refers to me trusting, to you trusting in your own works. For me trusting in my own works or in my own abilities or in whatever else we trust in with regard to salvation. Or with regard to righteousness before God, that's what these—that's what this uh, uh, legalism was about. That was coming at them. It was trying to get in. It was uh, Satan was trying to get in that that church. And uh, I'm righteous. You're righteous. If you're saved, only because of faith in Christ Jesus. And Christ alone, period. Nothing else. Only Christ alone. No confidence in the flesh, that's what it's referring to. As a matter of fact, I'll summarize for you uh, verses 4 through 8. Paul says, if anyone has a reason to have confidence in the flesh, he says, I do. I've got a reason. You can see in verse 5 he talks about his birth. Taught, he says, I was circumcised on the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin. That's where Jerusalem is. I mean, he says, I'm not just from any tribe. I'm from the tribe of Benjamin. And then he goes on and he says, I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. As, as far as touching the law, he said, I was a, I'm a Pharisee. That's what I was, a Pharisee. Now, there wasn't very many of those guys with respect to all the Jews. I think it's like 6,000 or something like those total Pharisees. He says, concerning zeal, he said, I persecuted the church. The As uh, touching righteousness, which is in the law, he said, I'm blameless. But look what he says. He says, all that, I count it loss. Now here's what that means. There are some good things in your life. There are some things that that are good, your family for one. But here's, what it, here's the idea behind what Paul is saying. He, say, he says, I'm, you know, I'm a Hebrew. I'm the tribe of Benjamin. That's a good thing. But in comparison to Jesus Christ, in comparison to faith in Jesus Christ, it's not even on the page. Do you see that? When we compare whatever it is to Jesus Christ, there is no comparison, and that's what he means when he says, "I count it loss; I count it all loss." As a matter of fact, let's let's look at verse nine, and we'll close verse nine. It says, "And be," he says, "and be found in Him." He said, "I count all things lost, and be found in Him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law." but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. Can you see how important uh, having the mindset of Christ is? It is essential to have the mindset of Christ. That's why Philippians 2.5 says, Let this mind be in you, which was in Christ Jesus. It's the only way that you and I can follow these three directions that we're given here. Where Paul says, we're the true circumcision. We're, we're the true, true ones. That's you and me. We worship God in spirit. That's the direction. We're obedient to God. We follow the Holy Spirit of God. He, wrote the, he, he breathed the words. We rejoice in Christ Jesus. We're not rejoicing in what we've done. And we have no confidence in the flesh with regard to us being righteous before God. It's Christ and Christ alone. Let's all stand together. Are you, do you make it a habit? Of worshiping God, serving God. That means serving, ministering, in whatever fashion, by obeying the Word of God, by obeying the Holy Spirit. He's working in you. Do you do that? Do you bring glory?